Well, good morning. Um, great to be with you this morning, and I'm going to hold off a little bit before we, we stand to read the Scripture. That's typically our, our custom here at, at Bethany, to stand when we read the Scripture together. Before we do that, I wanted to give you a bit of an update on our tornado recovery and relief uh, ministry we've been doing here at, at Bethany. I recently listened to a portion of uh, Daniel's sermon uh, the Sunday following uh, the, the storm Sunday, and uh, he stood up here and he said that our circumstances have greatly changed, but our purpose has not changed to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and prepare his people to worship him forever. We've had almost 6,000 volunteers come through our doors at our farmhouse to go out and, and uh, help affected families in Washington and, and surrounding communities. And I'm excited that you know, every one of those 6,000 volunteers uh, was proclaimed the gospel. As we have people sit through a short orientation, we uh, proclaim why we are doing Tornado Relief Ministry. It's, it's because we want to, to glorify the Lord, and we can only glorify the Lord if we have a right relationship with the Lord, and we proclaim the gospel in that way. So it, it's amazing to me, too, um, just how we didn't have to convince ourselves at Bethany to do this type of thing. I, and I, all glory to God. I think God's been preparing our church in lots of ways to participate in this, this kind of ministry from our counseling ministry to our community compassion ministry to our benevolence uh, ministry. And, and bottom line, I, here at Bethany, I think we just love God and we love people. <laughs> So if that's true, why wouldn't we be doing this type of ministry, right? So we are currently looking at welcoming spring break groups in March, and uh, Rachel Wibben, one of our ministry staffs, put a little packet that we send off to, to interested college campuses and youth groups and people that want to come for a week-long time period, and, and uh, so we're excited for that, and we've been announcing dates in February that we're receiving uh, other volunteers, and we'll be announcing more of those in March and uh, as the need presents itself. And one thing that Charlene Bateman did, uh, she's been a great, whew, what a great resource for us, what a great lady um, to help on our tornado, tornado ministry. Um, she kind of spearheaded making a, a leaving piece for volunteers. So as they come to the farmhouse, a lot of them, a lot of volunteers kind of want something to take with them to remember their experience by. And, and so Charlene has helped us develop a, just a, a bookmark, a laminated bookmark they can take with them, laminated because who knows how how many times they'll get dropped in the snow or, or whatever as they, as they work. Um, and on the front of it, it does say, thank you for serving in our, our community. On the back side of the bookmark, it has a picture of, a, kind of, a, of what week one looked like, of uh, the destruction that happened uh, in our community. And then uh, it says a sentence that says, uh, where is the good news? With a question mark. And then it goes on to proclaim God, man, Jesus' response, a, a clear proclamation of the gospel on the back of that, that bookmark. Now, why did we do that? Why did we put a picture on the back of the bookmark? Um, we could have put anything else there, but we chose to put a picture of the destruction that's happened uh, here in our, our community. You know, we could have put, uh, there, there's scripture verses underneath that picture, and we could have taken out the picture and put more scripture on there, or, or put any other type of image that we could have thought of to put uh, on that bookmark. But why did we choose specifically to put a, a picture of the damage done in our area? Well, I think the reason why is that we wanted to kind of connect to the heart of the volunteer. Some volunteers that come are, are believers in Jesus Christ, and, and, and some aren't. Um, and so we, we've been glad to be able to welcome both types of people, I guess, in a sense, to, to come and, and volunteer with us. But I think no matter, where, no matter where a person is spiritually, as you, you see the destruction, there is something that just happens to your soul, isn't there? When you, when you see it, and, and those of you who are affected families know this all the more than the rest of us do, but um, there is a... Oh, 
uh, uh, maybe some questions that pop up into our minds, um, some, some grief, some concern, um, maybe even the question of, God, why did you allow this to happen? How, how is this good news? This church says they proclaim good news. How is this good news? And so we wanted to kind of connect to the heart of the volunteer to, to get into what, maybe what they were thinking and, and to proclaim the good news to them. It was a, a bigger picture question to ask with this, is, is should Christians ever really try to connect to the heart of, an, of someone who's not a believer in Christ? Should they ever try to understand them? Should they ever try to understand the culture in which they were brought up or the culture in the United States um, at all? We could have made the bookmark without a picture. We thought it wise to engage with the thinking of the volunteer. Thinking about the culture uh, in which we live and, and how to, to engage with it to proclaim Christ, I think is something we need to consider as followers of Jesus. I think even bigger picture, our, our United States culture is ever-changing. Isn't it? seems like day-to-day it's changing. The things that we see on the front of newspapers today are not the things we saw 30 years ago, are they? Our culture continues, continues to change. Some would say that we're moving towards uh, what's been labeled a, a postmodern society here in the United States. Um, a, a postmodern thinker, thinker has been described as saying that, that truth is subjective, uh, that truth is defined by the small community in which you are engaged with. It denies the, the modern thought that man is ultimate, that man is, is pinnacle. It has a more humble view of man. And that tolerance is highly valued. It's not about what's right. It's what about what brings the most harmony to those around you. So the question is, how does the church respond? In the face of a changing culture, what do we do as a church? Well, I think first we need to know the God we serve. We have to cling to the scripture as, as a foundational source of truth and of knowledge of who God is. Secondly, I think the church would benefit from paying attention to where the culture is, is heading. We need to be mindful so we don't leave our biblical roots, uh, believe the lie that God is evolving, that God changes his mind on moral issues, on who he is or who we are. So how might we find ourselves going with the culture of being too influenced by the culture? Well, we might uh, feel shame for, for past acts of our, in our church's history and in, in church history. We already are seeing some churches assimilated into the culture, and uh, I think that can be evidence of, of, of us not spending time with the Lord, not clinging to the God's word, and, and hearing these emotional pleas that, that, that God has to be different than the God of the Scripture. He wouldn't allow this or that to happen. And we're tempted to allow our emotions to dictate who God is. But I think there is something to this engaging with the culture. Um, we see in, in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 32, Israel was rallying, rallying to instate David as king. Um, and it's said of the sons of Issachar that they were men who understood the times with knowledge of what Israel should do. Men who understood the times and understanding what was going on in their culture. So I believe we need to throw off the temptation to, to follow a God of our own invention and follow the God of the Scripture, to glorify God by proclaiming not just with our hands and feet that we're Christ, but to proclaim with our mouths that Christ is alive and that he is Lord. Uh, we need to understand the times so we can proclaim Christ as Lord clearly. So here's the big picture for this morning. We are to proclaim the known God to a known people who don't know the known God. We are to proclaim a known God to a known people who don't know a known God. Let me ask you to turn to Acts 17, starting in verse 16. Kind of a long 
passage of Scripture here. We're going to read verses uh, 16 through 33 here. Um, It's our our custom to stand as we read the Scripture. Would you stand with me as you're turning to, to Acts? We'll start in verse 16 of Acts 17. Now, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, and some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears, and we wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, and I found also an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown. This I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made for one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Even as some of your own poets have said, we are indeed, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed the day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men joining him and believed, among whom also were Dionysus, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. We have a seat, and let me pray for us this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Uh, would you teach us this morning? We are people in need, and we need to hear from you. Thank you for your word that speaks so clearly, and we ask for your help to hear from you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's go to your, your notes here. I hope this will be a helpful thing for you as, as, uh, as we look at Acts 17 today. There, there's a number of things in this passage I want to go through, and we're going to go through the whole passage here and this first kind of major point that you see in your notes, and then we'll kind of go back to the top and do it again. Um, so I'm looking forward to this time. First, we need to recognize that proclaiming a known God means proclaiming that God is. You see back in verse 23, For I passed along and observed the objects of your worship. I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, what therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. Proclaiming a known God means proclaiming that God exists, that God is. Now, the Athenians already had this down to a point. Uh, Many of them already believe in the supernatural, Um, Paul was taken to the Areopagus, or Mars Hill, 
here. And the Areopagus was a place in Athens where many decisions were made. Uh, Rome had allowed uh, Athens to be a self-governing city, and so this is a, a place of, of much discussion, of much debate. Athens was a center of religious thought also, so lots of these discussions were along religious lines. And almost every god, man-made god known of in the world at this time was worshipped in, in Athens. Uh, one ancient writer wrote this, that it was easier to find a god in Athens than to find a man because there were so many. So Paul wanted to affirm this belief that many Athenians had in the supernatural, but yet trying to point them in the right direction of the right God. Proclaiming a known God means proclaiming the right God, the God of the Scriptures. That's who Paul was proclaiming. The Scriptures point to God's existence. We see that many times throughout the scriptures, here in Acts 17, Romans 1, other places. But there are also arguments outside of the Bible that help us to see that God does exist. There's something called the cosmological argument. Uh, This is the law of cause and effect, that for every effect there is a cause to it. But there can't be an endless line of causes. There had to be, in a sense, an uncaused cause that started all the causes, Uh, And so that is an argument that points towards there being someone who started the cause and effect process. There's scripture that shares a similar principle to this. Hebrews 3, 4 says, Every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Another argument outside the scripture that helps us to see that God exists is the teleological argument. It took me a few times to practice that and get that word down. Um, Teleological. I just want to say it a few more times because I have it down now. Um, But the teleological argument is that nature's design calls for a designer. Recently, my boys have been uh, in school, have been studying uh, the cell. And uh, it's it's so amazing, the the intricacies of of the cell, things that I'd forgotten way back in fifth grade. Uh, But my boys have to memorize all these things about the cell. And there's so much to memorize, a whole test upon tests just about the human cell. If you think about the complexity of the world, uh, the bones in your inner ear, um, how a cocoon turns into a butterfly, that's the teleological argument, that it, it calls for a designer. Psalm 94.9 says, He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? Intelligence created life. Intelligence created intelligence. This was not random chance. So here in Athens, there is a belief in the supernatural that God exists, but he's not yet known to some. And really, I believe this is the new kind of starting point in evangelism in the United States today. Uh, Many of you know that um, Casey and I were in an evangelistic college ministry for about 10 years. And and over the course of the 10 years, we saw the starting point for evangelism change. It it, it started, uh, when we first started in campus ministry, it began with, you could pretty much assume that the student had a belief that God exists and that the scriptures were true or at least contained some elements of truth. And over those 10 years, we saw that the starting point for an evangelism was no longer that. We saw that the starting point was, do you believe there is a God? Is there any chance that there might be a divine being of some sort? Do you believe the scriptures have anything to say about life? Is there any source of truth that could be contained any element of truth that could be contained uh, in the scripture. There was a time when uh, a student and I were out and I was kind of in this process of training the student how to communicate their faith. And 
we, we came upon another student who, who wasn't a believer in Christ, and, and we um, asked this, uh, the Christian student, would, would you share the gospel with, with them if we get a chance today? So we had this opportunity, and uh, this student, I think it was very nervous at the time, the Christian student. It was almost like a gun went off, and he just raced to the end zone as quick as he could. God, man, Jesus responds, do you want to pray? <laughs> the student that was not a believer in Christ kind of stood there shocked and said, you know, I, I don't even know if there is a God. And I think my friend felt a little bit sheepish, a little bit embarrassed that they kind of blazed by the fact that maybe this person didn't even believe in God. It was asking them to receive Jesus Christ as Lord when they didn't even know there was a Lord for sure. Um, there is a different starting point. And, and, and Paul's desire here was to make sure, okay, here's the starting point. There is a God. Some of you even believe this here in Athens, that, that he, does, he, he does exist. And let me point you to the real God, the known God. So proclaiming the known God means proclaiming that there is a God. It also means proclaiming who God is. And we see that throughout verses 24 through, through 28. There, there's so much here. We'll get to it in a little bit of, of, of who God is and what he's like. And, and Paul goes to explain that. And one of the things he explains about God is he is our creator. Th- this would have been a hard truth for many Athenians to swallow um, who didn't believe in the God of the Scripture that he made all the world and all things in it. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But, but Paul shares this. He's our creator. He, he's after their hearts. Ephesians 3.9 says that, that God created all things. Colossians 1 says that by Christ all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created by him and for him. In your, your bulletin today is a, a little resource that you, you can pull it out if you'd like. But um, it, um, it's a resource that we put together to try to, to uh, help us to see the fullness of the gospel as we try to communicate the gospel to others. Uh, what is the, the full gospel message? And you'll see there, any, number one, who, who is God? He is our holy creator. We believe that's important to emphasize to people that he is our creator. Genesis one twenty six. then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now, why, why is this important? Why do we care to communicate to people that God is our creator? Well, if, if we want to hear the hearer to know that they are under authority, we have to first help them to see that God created them. If God created them, that means they're under authority. If they're under authority, that means there's a standard. If there's a standard, that means there's something we can fall short of. If we fall short of something, that means we need help so that we can meet that standard. If we need help, that means we need someone to pay that sin for us. If we need someone to pay that sin for us, then we have Jesus who can pay it for us. Do you see why it's important for us to recognize that God is our creator? As we communicate, as we proclaim Christ, Paul communicates to Athenians, there is a God. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. He is our creator. He's also our sovereign ruler. And in verse 24, the Lord of heaven and earth. Genesis 4.19 calls God a possessor of heaven and earth. Nothing happens that is not under his control. Again, this this helps the Athenian hearer to see the picture of a true, the one and true God. Paul continues to show God as as a giver, as, as being very near. And in a sense, you see Paul kind of shining light on that altar that said to an unknown God and just exploding that myth that there is an unknown God out there. There is a known God. He's our creator. He's a sovereign ruler. He's a giver of everything. He's very near to us, exploding the myth of that small view of God. So for us as believers, let's ever be so diligent 
to study who God is, to pour over the scriptures, to revel in the attributes of God. We should know and study and and love and, and revel in the God we know. So proclaiming a known God means there, there is a God. It means we, we share his character, and it means we proclaim what God says. We proclaim what God says. Let me reread verses 30 and, and 31 um, from Acts 17. It says, The, the times of, of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness, by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Paul is telling the Athenians that the time is now. It is time to repent as judgment is coming. The Son of God has come and died and rose again for your salvation. This is the message we tried to, to capture on the rest of this, this resource that I've, I've pointed out to you that that uh, there is a God, he's our holy creator, that, that who is man? He's a, he's a sinner, he cannot redeem himself. And, and Jesus came, God's son, who said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And it's not enough just to know that intellectually, but we respond in faith. We believe that Christ's death was sufficient. We place our faith, we trust that his death was sufficient to pay for my penalty that I deserve to pay myself. And we repent of our sins. Faith and repentance go together. We need to learn the, the share the fullness of the gospel story and, and be clear in what we're asking people to consider. Now I'm going to say something that might be a little bit uh, controversial here. I want to say this gently. Um, the, the phrase has, has come in the Christian vernacular of, of, uh, of asking Jesus into your heart. Now if you've ever said that, uh, no judgment here, I've said that phrase. I think actually when I prayed as a teenager to, to accept God's forgiveness, to accept that free gift of forgiveness, I think I actually prayed those words. Uh, Jesus, will you come into my, my heart? God's not so much concerned with the words we say. I think he's concerned with the attitude of our, of our hearts. But I, but I think we get in danger when we ask people to consider, would you ask Jesus into your heart? I don't see in the scripture where it says we need to ask Jesus into our hearts. I see it says repent and believe. Um, place your faith in Jesus. And, and I actually spoke to someone who said as a child, um, they actually believed, since Jesus was supposed to come and live in your heart, that you had to crack your chest open, and a little person came in and took residence right there in, in your heart. And so we need to be careful how we explain it to children, right? Because they have more creative minds than we do, as old people. And so we need to make sure they, they understand exactly what we're asking them to do. We're not asking them to crack their chest open and have a little man come live inside of them, right? We're asking them to repent of their sins, to turn away from their sins and turn toward God. And to believe that Jesus' penalty was enough. It is sufficient to completely pay for your, your sins, past, present, and future. And we need to be clear in how we present that to adults as well. That we do that. That we're very clear in our proclamation. So let me encourage you to say this to an unsaved neighbor, friend, family member, co-worker this week. Hey, I was in church this Sunday and this associate pastor got up to speak. Senior pastor was gone. And he shared this little resource with I brought it with me. It's in my purse or it was in my computer bag or left it on my coffee table. Could I, he, he asked us to consider sharing this with somebody. Could I share this with you this week? I, I, would, I would encourage you to consider that. It's pulling this out and saying, hey, I, I want to get some input from you on this, this little resource that I was given this last Sunday at church. We want to proclaim a known God. Now, secondly here, the second major point here is we want to proclaim 
to a known people as well. We want to proclaim to a, a known people. It, it means knowing the people. Um, back in, in verse 17 of uh, Acts 17, it says, So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. It men- mentions the Epicurean and the Stoic philosophers as well. Um, so there's four types of people uh, that are mentioned here, as, as was Paul's usual method. The first person that he ministered to was he went to the synagogues to talk to the Jews. Talks about devout persons. That's the second type of person. Those are the God-fearing Gentiles, those that, that weren't Jewish, but they wanted to discuss the Savior. A third here was, was those that are called the Epicureans. And here's what I've learned about the Epicurean philosophy. That um, tell, tell me if this relates to our U.S. culture today, that the Epicureans tended to be materialistic. Their goal in life was pleasure and the avoidance of pain. And they believed that either gods did not exist or God did not exist or... Uh, that gods or God were too aloof to even try to know. Does that sound familiar today? The fourth type of person was a Stoic philosopher. Stoics believed reason above all else. They believed that being disciplined or a master over yourself was the goal of life. And one should be indifferent to pleasure or pain. It doesn't matter. Just be disciplined. And they had a conception of, of God being the whole universe. Now, knowing what I've said there now about the Epicurean and Stoic philosophy, do you see some of the language that Paul has used, how he might be trying to know these people? How did he know this about them? Well, there's two words that we went by very quickly in verse 17. Every day. Every day he spent time with those who did not know Christ. Now, some, some, uh, I asked for some input from my wife after the first service. You're going to benefit then from my wife's wisdom on, on this sermon here. But I said, how did it go? And she said, make sure you make it clear that Christians care about everything about a person. We don't just befriend people just to share the gospel. Uh, can you be my friend? Here's Jesus. See ya. Right? We care about them all. And that's, I think that's, that's Paul's heart. Every day I'm going to spend time with you. I want to care about you. I want to know about your family. I want to know about your history. I want to know your hurts. I want to know your pains. Ultimately, though, I want to share with you what's most important to me. And what's most important to me is Jesus. And if I don't share Jesus with you, I'm not really being who I am. I want to share Jesus with you. So we spent time with them, so much time. And in verse 22, he calls them very religious. He knew them well enough to know, I can call you very religious. I won't, I won't offend you by saying that. You could try that. Maybe your coworker, hey, I, are you very religious? You know? But Paul knows them well enough. I can say that, and by doing that, I'll draw you in. I want to draw you in to t- so I can tell you about the most important thing in my life. One commentator said that this provided a way into his address that would engage the attention of the audience. He knew them well enough to know what to say that would engage with them. Many of our salvation stories, those who are believers in Christ, would say the same thing. Someone spent time with me. I wasn't a believer in Christ, but someone just spent time with me. That was true for me. Dennis Bixler, a member at Grace Presbyterian Church in Peoria. And when I was a, a junior hire, he and I were going to a, a different church. And, and he just spent time with me. He was a leader of our youth group. Just poured his life into me and shared the gospel with me. And by seeing his life and hearing his clear proclamation of the gospel... I responded. I responded to that offer that God gives us. Many of us need, needed, God used people to spend time with us. And so we have to ask ourselves, do we know our non-Christian friends well enough to know what will grab their attention? Paul wanted to connect with the people. and Are we connecting with, with friends? Um, 
And I would say this. It's not so much that we'd say, yeah, I have friends that aren't Christians. But I think the true test is to say, would the friend who's not a Christian, would they say you're a friend? Would they say, that person deeply cares for me. I count them a close friend. They love me. They love me. And they love me enough to proclaim to me the most important thing about them. Now let me go on a little caveat here for a minute. Um, I, I think it's important for us to remember that when it comes to proclaiming the gospel to others, um, there can be a little fear in the Christian faith. You know, I, I don't know what to say. What if I say the wrong thing? What if, what if uh, they ask me a question? I don't know the answer to it. Um, and it becomes kind of this, this other thing in the Christian world that we, we should try to get to that, but there's so much other stuff in the Christian life I should get to, right? Let me just offer this. Proclaiming Jesus Christ, communicating our faith to others, that, that is a Christian. That is being a Christian. Just as much as Bible study, listening to a sermon, giving tithes, all these other things, it is being a Christian. That, that our, our unbelieving friends should be able to rub up against us and, and, and Christ just kind of oozes out of us. Right? And that should be true. If you're, if you're 11 years old and you're, you're hearing me say that, as you interact, if you're a, a believer in Christ, you've made that decision to follow Christ, as, as your friends, your buddies rub up against you in the, the, the playground at school and in the neighborhood, uh, they should just see Christ in you because that, that's who you are. Your identity is being a Christian. And so those of us who are, are older, as, as our coworkers, our neighbors, as we rub up against them, they should see Christ oozing out of us. That's, that's who we are. It's, it's a natural thing for Christians to do is to talk about the most important thing in all the world to them, and that's Jesus. It's the most important thing to us, right? So, uh, not only did Paul know the people well, and he wanted to proclaim Jesus to them, he also knew their culture, okay? He also knew their culture. He used their language, their concepts, their ideas. Um, go back to verse 24 in Acts, Acts 17 here. Um, it says, the, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Okay, that was Acts 17, 24. Um, Paul refers to the cosmos in two different ways. You notice that? Um, he made the world, okay? Use the word world to connect to those who are, who are not Jewish. Um, and he uses heaven and earth for those who are Jewish because there's no word for world in the Jewish language in Hebrew. He understood the culture. He knew who was there. I need to say world. I also need to see heaven and earth here as well so I can connect culturally to the people I'm proclaiming Christ to. In verse 25, he uses the word life. Um, since he, gave, he himself gives all mankind life, mankind life and breath and everything, he uses the word life there because that word was popularly associated with the Greek god of Zeus, who was worshipped very prevalently there in Athens. And so he uses that word because he knows people will make a connection. Wait, that's been said of Zeus and connected to Zeus, but now Paul's saying it's to connect to this god of the scripture. Verse 27. They should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Remember the Stoic philosophy? God's, the gods are aloof or God's aloof. He's, he's not very close to us. No, Paul says, no, he's very close to us. He's near to us. Verse 28, you have some quotes in your Bible, I'm sure, right? Two, two quoted lines, one from a, a hymn sung to Zeus, one from another um, a poem written um, to a, a pagan god, um, he, he wanted to connect their errant thinking about God. These things were written about gods or, or little, little g God. Connect them to the God of the scriptures. Now, one could say, well, why didn't Paul just share Old Testament scripture? Shouldn't he have used the scripture here? This, I mean, it's the Bible. Shouldn't we use the Bible? 
yeah, he could have, right? But these were people that never even heard of the Bible. Never, that didn't connect, didn't connect with them. Now, let me be very careful here, right? Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying don't use the Bible if you proclaim Christ. <laughs> Let's be very careful. I'm not, I don't think this is a prescription for all of evangelism for all time, forever and ever, right? We bring the scripture into our evangelistic conversations, but I also think we think about where is this person at? What are some connections they might think about their background, their culture that I could, could connect to the, the God of the Bible? The other day I was in a, I found myself in a waiting room and I was talking with someone, um, uh, getting to know somebody. I hadn't met them before entering the waiting room and, and um, was asking their, their history um, a little bit. And, and let me just say, boy, we always say it's hard to get into spiritual conversations. It's so hard to talk about the God, the God of, of the Bible with people. All you have to do is say, where are you from? Where do you work? You have any children? Single, married, um, have you lived there a long time? You're asking all these historical questions, right? And then just say, you have a church background? Do you ever go to church back there in your hometown? Uh, we, we make this kind of transition into spiritual conversations. It's this humongous Goliath we have to throw a stone at to knock over before we can talk about Jesus. Talk about their history. Where are you from? How long you lived there? When you lived there, did you have a church home? What do you think about God? that important thing to you today? It's really rather easy, actually, to get into spiritual conversations with people. So I, I did the historical question uh, asking with this, this person, wanting to care for all of them, right, and, and wanted to talk to them about spiritual things. I think I'm this, in this waiting room. I don't know if I'll ever see this person again. Why not share the gospel? I got nothing to lose here, right? It's a win-win. And, and so I asked them about their spiritual background, and, and they said, Something like, oh, I just can't believe that someone would look outside at, at, at the, the, the world around them and say there is no God. Nature just calls for that, doesn't it? And so you know what I did? I don't say this for a pat on the back. Praise to God. But I, I said, you know, you just kind of quoted scripture to me. You just said Romans 1. The person said, really? <laughs> a bridge was built there, right? They, they saw that the, what they believed was also true in the Bible. So maybe I can think more about the Bible, connect more to what the Bible is saying. Maybe I should look into that. We want to meet, try to connect people, their backgrounds, their culture, uh, to, to the Scriptures. So let, let me, let me um, give you another example here. Um, I don't know if some of you might have seen out in the hallway. Josh and Heidi Osfall are, are in, uh, at our services today. Uh, they're some of our missionaries in South Africa. So I'm going to give you a, a South African cultural quiz. Okay, are you ready? And uh, as I did this first, uh, first service, Josh and Heidi confirmed that I, I had this right. So uh, if I were to offer you a biscuit in South Africa, what would I be offering you? You know? It'd be a cookie, right? A, a cookie would be offering you. Um, if, I, if I were to call something you own lecker, not liquor, lecker, if I were to call something you own lecker, what would I be saying about your possession? Uh, that is cool. Something's lecker. It's cool. I, I like it. It's a pretty neat thing that you have there. What if I referred to a child's dummy? Not to a child as a dummy, but to a child's dummy. You know what that is? It's a pacifier in South Africa, okay, in the Afrikaner vernacular. If I were to say I was going to flog your pet, flog means sell. I'm going to sell your pet. Is flog means sell. Um, did you see the robot? It's a traffic light. Robot. It's a traffic light. Okay. I remember when I, I've been to South Africa a few times and I asked a friend there, um, we we're going out to his car. I said, hey, can I put my backpack in your boot in, in the trunk of his car? And he's kind of like, oh yeah, the American. All right. Learning my language here a little bit. And it's just those little things that if we think about where someone's coming from, their culture, their background, we can make these connections. And ultimately, we do desire to point them to who Jesus Christ is. That, that's what Paul was doing. He was building a bridge uh, to another culture. Now, let me say this. There's a balance between knowing the culture and being influenced by the culture. 
Uh, and I think for every believer in Christ, it's their call. It's between them and the Lord and, and how close they get to, to culture. Because um, sometimes we get too close to culture, it can begin to influence us in a harmful way. We need to keep the scriptures nearby as we consider this. Godly counsel as well. Uh, I had a college floor mate who proclaimed faith in Christ. And he said, when I came to ISU, I prayed for the wildest partying roommate I could ever have. And I think he got his wish. Uh, he, he was right on. His, his roommate was, was, a, was a wild dude. Um, and so uh, one time, it, it, my floor mate, he said, uh, I'm gonna, I go out to the parties with him. I, I get drunk so I can relate to him. And so then I can share Christ with him. Now, um, the scripture says, do not get drunk on wine for that's debauchery, right? So I wouldn't say that, you know, that's a great methodology of evangelism. Um, but he was getting a little too close to that culture. was beginning to influence his spiritual walk. So we don't want to become entrenched in, in sin but at the same time, we don't want to be so far removed from culture that we have no idea how our unsaved friends think, right? So he knew the culture. Uh, so he knew the people, he knew the culture, and I, I believe this, proclaiming a known, to a known people means knowing God's call. And I guess I could argue that this characteristic should be at the forefront of believers' mind, even before these other two, of knowing the people and knowing the culture, um, because after hearing the first two characteristics, one might question, why should I know the people? Why should I know the culture? Why did Paul go through all this trouble to spend all this time with all these folks, learn about their cultures around him? Well, again, going back to verse 30 and 31, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now, now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. See, Paul knew God's call. He knew his life was about bringing glory to God and helping others bring glory to God by proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord. That's how Paul lived his life. Whatever the culture around him was like, Paul knew his role was to proclaim Jesus Christ. A number of years ago, and we were still attending Bethany Baptist Church, the church that planted Bethany Community Church, uh, Pastor Rich Burkle was preaching on evangelism, and he um, asked from the pulpit, if you have shared the fullness of the gospel, to be able to communicate all the gospel to someone, like what's on the sheet in, in front of you, could you stand? If you've done that in the last week, actually he said, and I think it was last week, could you please stand? And it was kind of a murmur around the church. And I don't think Rich did that to um, try to shame people um, into, uh, you know, oh, I better do this because I'm supposed to share about Christ with people. I'm a Christian. I think the reason Rich did that was to impress upon us is that's who we are. You know, again, as believers in Christ, who we are are proclaimers. It's not that we're, we're Christians and that some of us have the gift of evangelism or some of those real passionate believers do it. It's who we are. We are proclaimers of the gospel. In, in my household, Casey and I, we try to impress upon our kids uh, three things. And we've done art projects based on these three things. We recite them often to try to remember them. But it's three things. Uh, be, uh, know who you are. Be who you are. And take others with you. Okay? Know who you are. Be who you are. And take others with you. The, the point of that is know your identity. Because no matter what you believe about spiritual things, Whatever you believe about it, know it, man. Own it. Be that, then. Be all of that. If you are an atheist, be a ravaging atheist. Go after it. Live out your life passionately because you should bring others with you. Because if that's what you believe about spiritual things, that should be everything about you. The spiritual life is another piece of the pie along with our social life and you know, intellectual life. The spiritual life is the foundation underneath we make decisions on all those other realms of our lives, right? 
And so as we think about this, this, that reality, if we know who we are, if we know our identity, we'll live that out. We'll be who we are, right? It'll just pour out of us. A lot of our problems in evangelism is not that you just need to do it more. It's that you don't remember who you are. I don't remember who I am. I'm a blood-bought sinner who's been saved for eternity to spend it with Jesus. And so my relationship with God just oozes out of me. I mean, I hope you run into me and Jesus just pours out of me. That's who I am. I am Jesus's. I'm his. I'm going to spend eternity with him. If we know who we are, we will be who we are and we'll take others with us. If they're not believers in Christ, we'll help point them to the Savior. If they are believers in Christ, I'll take them with me as I proclaim Christ so they will be encouraged to proclaim him more. Even earlier in the book of Acts, in chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, you shall be my witnesses. That's your identity. You are a witness. I am a witness. It's a a command. It's a statement. We are all witnesses. The question is, what kind of witnesses are we? So I would say, Bethany Community Church, let's step out in faith together. As a family, let's say, I want to be who I am. I want to live out who I am. I want to take others with me. Because we know already the things that Paul has proclaimed about Christ in this passage. He, he calls God the Lord of all. He, he states that God needs nothing and gives everything. states that he is near to everyone and we cannot function without him. He states that God cannot be contained in a man-made idol. And then he states the climax of his message in 30 and 31. God wants all men to come to him in repentance. So if we apply these six things to our lives, if we apply these principles... Paul should motivate us to do the same in the context of our culture. We'd analyze how much time we, we spend with those who don't share our faith. Um, do we spend our time doing so many good spiritual things that we forget about who we are and knowing that part of being a spiritual person is spending time with people who do not yet know Christ? Have we communicated the fullness of the gospel to someone in the last week, in the last month, in the last day? We'll find that we may have lots in common with others. As I mentioned before, that postmodern thought, we've kind of demonized postmodernism. We, we kind of champion modern thought. Well, you know, modern thought says that man is the pinnacle. Man is the end-all, be-all of all things. And so modern thought has some good things. It has some bad things, too. Postmodern thought has some bad things. But, you know, the idea that man is not the pinnacle, I agree with that. God is the pinnacle. God is all. And so if we help a, a postmodern thinker see that, hey, we have something in common here, we may better be able to proclaim Christ as Lord and Savior to them. So we we are to proclaim the known God to known people who don't know the known God. We need to throw off our temptation uh, to follow a God of our own invention and glorify God by proclaiming him, not just with our hands and feet, but with our mouths, that Jesus is Lord. We need to understand the times. As I say that, I know that I'm in need of grace as I do that. Grace is not just for our justification, we become a Christian, but it's for our sanctification as we live out Christianity. And so we're in need of grace. We're in need of Christ as we do tornado ministry, children's ministry, as we talk with our unsaved friends about him. So let's, let's pray. Let's pray and ask for help and ask for the grace to do so. Father, thank you for grace. Thank you that we are in need. And these songs we've sung this morning and the song we're going to sing now, all we need is you. We are in desperate need, God. Help us to be people marked as people in need, and help us to be marked as people who are proclaimers. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.